Okay, so let's get started. The, the topic tonight is the Ramban's usage of the word Chalila and how it potentially delimits the extent of the flexibility or the elasticity of his exegetical parameters. It seems to me that the Ramban in many instances could have contained his disagreement with a specific view on a purely exegetical basis, but he doesn't. He adds in the word Chalila, or once he adds in Chasve Chalila or Chasve Shom, he adds in something else that I think effectively is a bit of a tell. It's in a sense showing his cards as to the what he was willing to potentially um, be able to include within his pshat, and if he can't include it because of an exegetical reason, that's one thing. But if he can't include it because he can't countenance it, he just fundamentally cannot imagine such a situation, that's a different thing, and that potentially colors the approach to pshat that 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 he is offering. So there are many examples. I'll have to run through them in order to be able to have enough time tonight. The first example is the Ramban in Parshas Lech Lecha, or actually um, we could talk about it in, in Chayasar as well. Where did Avram Avinu come from? The Pasuk tells us that Avram Avinu was Lech Lecha, Me'ar and at that time he was in Charan. However, Later on, when Avra, and later on, when um, Avram is telling the servant to go get a wife for Yitzchak, he says to go back El right? You should go back to um, my birthplace, and he obviously he goes to Charan. The problem is that the Ramba, the pasuk also tells us that Eretz Barlatot So where is it? that Avram Avinu actually comes from. On this, there is a, um, on this there is a uh, debate, a machlekas, between the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban. The Ramban says that Avram Avinu comes from, uh, the, the Ramban says that Avram Avinu comes from Charan, and the Ibn Ezra says he comes from Orkazdan. The Ramban, who says that the Ramban, who says that uh, Avram Avinu comes from Orka, uh, from Khar, not from Orkazdim. So the question is, well, what was he doing in Orkazdim? We know that that's where they left. So he, the Ramban says that, look, at the end of the day, people traveled. Uh, not just nowadays, people traveled. And so Avram and his father... Uh, Tarach, they went on business or whatever it was to to work Kazdim, and they that's where they stayed, and that's where Haran died. But Avram Avinu himself was from Haran. Tarach was from Haran, a hundred percent they were from Haran. It happens to be that for whatever reasons that were specific to them, they traveled to Or Kazdim. But that is the basic machlekes between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra. But if you look there in Parshas Chayesara. When the Ramban is explaining 
the the command that Avram gives to the servant that he tells the servant, you should go back to my land and to my birthplace. So Rashi understands that means to go back, my latitude to go back to Orkazdim. Says the Ramban, according to this understanding of Rashi, that essentially Avram is commanding the servant to go back to Orkazdim. He says, Chalila, 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 double lashon of Chalila, right? God forbid, heaven forfend, that it should be that Avram Avinu was commanding the servant to go find a wife for Yitzchak and Orkazdim? That can't be. Chalila, Chalila, that, the, that there should be an intermingling of the Zerah Kodesh, of the holy seed of the Avram Avinu, with the cursed descendants of Ham. So that tells you something. To me, it's what it says is that it wasn't just that the Ramban is exegetically arguing with the Ibn Ezra as to how to read the Psukim. We could have a debate about how to read the Psukim. There's a Pasuk that says, There's a Pasuk that says, And he goes back to Haran. But it also says, So we could have a debate about what the Melodotoy was for Avram Avinu, based upon the Pesukim that seemed to contradict themselves. But, to the, the Ramban is adding in another layer. He's saying it's impossible that Avram Avinu comes from Orkazdim, because that would effectively mean <coughs> that Avram Avinu was commanding the servant to go find a wife for Yitzchak <coughs> from the Zerah of Cham, which is cursed. How could that mix with the Zerah Kaidesh? That's not an exegetical reason, right? That's the Ramban's own personal inability to countenance that such a thing would be possible. And you find a similar thing from the Ramban in relation to Yehuda and Tamar. In the mice of Yehuda and Tamar, we find a very similar thing. Over there, the Pasuk tells us that after the Maisa was selling of Yosef, right, he goes down from amongst his brothers, right, he, um, he goes down to this Adula, my man, and he marries this Bashua, and he has a bunch of children. The Pasuk says, that she was, who was this Bas Shua? Bas, she was a Bas Ishkenani or Shema Shua. Right? He marries the daughter of a, of a Kenani whose name was Shua. What does Kenani mean? Already, Uncleus and others say it doesn't mean what it would seem to mean. It doesn't mean a Canaanite. It means a merchant. And they bring rise from Sukkim that Kenani can mean a merchant. That is, don't say that Yehuda married a merchant. I'm sorry, a Canaanite woman. He married a merchant. And the Ramban is very strong on this point that the command that Avram Avinu gave to, to um, the command that Avram Avinu gave to, um, to, to the servant not to go and marry a woman, right, from, uh, from a local woman, right? What, was, what exactly was the command, right? See, the, the, the servant had asked, well, what happens if, what happens if, if the woman doesn't go? If the woman refuses to, to, to come, maybe, maybe she's willing to do the shidduch, but she does want to move here. Can I move Yitzchak out of the land of Israel? No. 
So then he says, what about marrying a local girl? So again, so um, the, the Avram said that that uh, right, the the Avram had told the servant, you shouldn't take a woman from the locals among that I live here. And what happens if the woman doesn't want to come and it can't move out Yitzchak or whatever? That's it. There's no the the pussy doesn't say. Rashi says Rashi Kasav the Rambam brings down that Rashi wrote Rashi Kasav the Kachla Isha Mimnois Ono Eshko Mamre that maybe he would uh, take a woman from Ono Eshko Mamre and, and the and the Rambam says Chas V'Shalom Ono Eshko Mamre are Canaanites says the Ramban Vim Kanan and him Chalila Loi Ubeemes Shehem Mizera Kanan Ono Eshko Mamre are Canaanites. As we see from the pasuk that tells us, there were Amorites. They're one of the you know seven nations. So Chas V'Shalom, that Rashi could be correct that he could marry somebody from Anor Ashkel Mamre. He can't marry anyone local. Period. Full stop. And again, the language of Chalila. So according to the Ramban, it's not Avram Avinu comes from Charon. Is an absolute uh, uh, um, refusal on the part of Avram to allow his children to marry locals, and that. Presumably carried on from Yitzchak to Yaakov. That's why Yitzchak sent Yaakov, not just to quote run away. He could have ran away to a lot of places, but he runs away to go find also a wife. He's going to do a two for a two and one, and he's going to go to the Haran. He's going to go to the same place. What? Why there? The pasuk again made it clear, right? You recall that Rivka said that that, that she she sort of makes out a whole act to Yitzchak, and she says to him that she's disgusted by these daughters of Ches. Right, she can't take it, and we know that Esav then responds by marrying a daughter of Yishmael. So she doesn't want, right, that Yitzchak that that Yaakov should marry one of the locals. Right, so to say then that Yaakov's children would not adhere to the dictates of the Zayda uh, 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 of the Elta Zayda is is something that the Ramban can't stomach. And the Ramban therefore says that it has to be the Pshat is that she's a, a daughter of a merchant, not the daughter of a Canaanite. Then the Ramban continues. And the Ramban says that there's a Machlekes. He brings down a matter. There's a Machlekes between Rabbi Yehuda and a Machlekes between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nechemiah on who was it that the Shvatim married. Rabbi Yehuda says they married twins. They had they each one had a, a twin sister, and they married twins. The Rabbi Nechemia says no, no, they married Canaanite girls. Says the Ramban, Rabbi Nechemia is misunderstood. If you think he means Canaanite girls, that's wrong. What he meant was they married local girls. So an Amoines, a Mayavis, a Yishmaelite, an Esav family, an Edomite, but not, absolutely not. A Canaanite. They're local girls, but they weren't from Ham. That's the opinion of the Ramban. And then he gets to the end. And you see, again, as I mentioned, what I think is driving him. And and the Ramban says that, look, at the end of the day, it's not merely the daughter of Shua, who's not a Canaanite, but Tamar herself is not a Canaanite. The whole Maisa of Yehuda and Tamar after... The two boys die, and Yehuda refuses uh, to allow her to marry Shelah. 
So we know the story. Tamar waits. And she essentially seduces Yehuda, and Yehuda then has Peretz and Zerach from Tamar. This Peretz and Zerach that he had from Tamar says the Ramban the following Lashon. Must be that Tamar was from somebody, uh, uh, you know, within the land. But, Loi Bas Ish Kenani. But it couldn't have been a Canaanite. Why not? If Tamar was a Canaanite woman, then that means that the Mashiach, David HaMelech, comes from a Canaanite. God forbid that can't be. Why? I mean, after all, Rus is from a Moabite. There's a difference. A Moabite is... From the family of light, that's okay. But a Canaanite was cursed by Akadosh Baruch Hu, I'm sorry, cursed by Nayach after the flood, and Ar Kanan, Ever Avadim and therefore the Ramban says it cannot be that Tamar is a Canaanite. But I think what this tells you then is that this is perhaps what's driving the Ramban in part on refusing to acknowledge that possibility that the Canaanite of 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 Shua that maybe it was really a Canaanite is impossible. Even the Ibn Ezra says that it was a Canaanite, and that's why the Torah is bringing it down to highlight it. Right? According to the Ibn Ezra, the Torah really means it's a Canaanite. The Torah is trying to show you what happens when you do a bad shidduch. No, says the Ramban. Right? When the Torah says, Shol ben Akananis, that's the only example of somebody who married a Canaanite, and that's what the Torah highlighted. I over here, it also says it. No. Says the Ramban, it can't be. Right? Ramban Chemian, he says they married Canaanite girls. No, it can't be. They had to marry local girls, but not Canaanite. Canaanite is is impossible. That's what the Zayd and the elders said. Everybody said against, you can't marry Canaanites. There was no way that the brothers were going to violate it. But it's not just exegetical reasons that's motivating the Ramban. The Ramban cannot imagine that the Zerah Kodesh of Bnei Yisrael is being misarev with those who are cursed. Cannot be that Mashiach Kenu is going to come from somebody who is cursed by, by Noach. Um, if we if we look also in the story there about Yehuda and Tamar, we see that the Ramban uses the word Khalilah another time, and over there it's in relation to the um, the Chesamcha Psilacha. What what exactly does it mean Psilacha? Chesamcha, we know it's like a sort of a signet ring, but what's a Psilacha? So it's not clear what a Psilacha is. There are those Rashi, others who suggest that it's like like a cloak. The Ramban doesn't like it. But he says it absolutely, chas v'shalom cannot mean tzitzis, like seal, right? Hakanop seal to chel, it can't mean that. Now, forget the anachronism of Yehuda wearing tzitzis. That's not what I want to focus on. Let's assume he was wearing tzitzis. That's not the point. The point I want to bring out is that the Ramban says, Chalila she'ikayim Yehuda mitzvah tzitzis v'zalza b'y losis lo'yisoy b'zima. It's impossible that it could mean tzitzis, because that would mean that he gave over a mitzvah of tzitzis, he gave it over, he gave over this, this cloak to the to Tamar, who he thought was, you know, he ran, it was a zayna, he as a payment. It can't be that he would use a mitzvah to to do, to make such a payment. Again, something just to, 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 to think about. I want to now move to Shemais. Those are the examples of the Ramban and Barashas.
In Shemais, we have another number of examples that the Ramban gives, where he uses the word Chalila, and like I said, I think it opens up another lens into what was driving the Ramban, that it wasn't just pure exegetical reasons, but it was something deeper, something that he wouldn't was not willing to countenance in terms of a pshat. So the first place where, where, where we see it is in Eya What does it mean, Eya it's, it's These are words that are impossible to understand. None of them are far from understand. Everyone tries to explain what, what exactly Hashem was telling Moshe, what is, what is the meaning of the words, I'll be that I'll be. We don't really understand what it means. Among the commentaries is the Rabbi Nisajigo, the Rambam, and the Rambam in, uh, in the Morin of Uchim. And they go on the derech that what Meish Rabbeinu was being told by Hashem to tell the Jewish people was essentially a philosophical argument. Prove the existence of God. Right? I am that I am. I'll be that I'll be. I'm beyond space. I'm beyond time. All kinds of deep philosophical arguments that Meish Rabbeinu was coming to explain to the elders of Ibn Israel to explain to them that, that there is a God and He is going to take them out of Egypt. But it's a philosophical kind of like sitting down and, and hammering it out and proving it to them. Says the Ramban, that can't be the case. And the line of the Ramban is, It's Cholila, what the Rambam says, that that uh, was potentially doubt in the minds of the elders of B'nai Yisrael as to the existence of God, and that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to come to tell the Jewish people about the existence of God? No! The, the elders of B'nai Yisrael, of course, accepted the notion of God, and they 100% fervently believed in God, and all Moshe Rabbeinu was coming to do is tell them about the sign that now Hashem Kodesh Baruch is, is going to be remembering them and taking them out, but not explaining to the Jewish people the basic notion that there is a God. That they already always knew. That is the approach of the Ramban there in the beginning of Shemais. If we skip to the end of Shemais, or towards the end of Shemais, on the Pasuk of what it means by the, by the Keturus, the what what is Natav? So the so the 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 Rashi says that Natav is Tsuri. And Rashi, you know, tries to explain what exactly this compound is made of, but the Ramban doesn't like it. And the Ramban says that the way Rashi is explaining it, this could include leaven, like se'ar, it can include honey, dvash, and it can include what extracts you would get from shkatsim vermasim. Right? We know today for all the kashrus questions about all the different compounds and all the different enzymes and all the different lipids and fatty acids and all the things that they find in various different bugs and thing and the like. Says the Ramban, the Torah tells us, You're not allowed to bring anything from Sar or Devash. So obviously that can't be used. I there's no Pasik on Shkatsim Vermasim. There's no Pasik that says you're not allowed to put that kind of stuff inside the Keteras. Says the Ramban, Impossible! It's impossible. Yes, I know the Pasuk only says about Sar and Dvash, but it's impossible to imagine that within the compound of the Keteras would contain something that was a trafe 
a treif animal, a treif bug, impossible. Now it's interesting because the Ramban doesn't bring, right? If you say Peter Makteras, you know that there's a Gemara in Krisis that we bring down, right? And the in the in the Gemara there says that Meraglaim urine is would actually help make the Kteras work even better, but we don't do it. The Gemara doesn't actually give the the reason the same way we say it in the Peter Makteras. The 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 says, We don't bring in into the keteres urine because it's dishonorable. But in the Gemara, it just says the reason that we don't bring in merak uh, lion into the keteres is because you're not allowed to go to the bathroom at mikdash. So so therefore, you're not allowed to be using it within the keteres. So that's the approach of. Of, of the Gemara Krisis versus what we say in the Pizza Makhtaras. But the similar idea. The reason you're not allowed to be going to the bathroom on the base of English is because of COVID. So that's fundamentally what it, what, what it is. But the, the Ramban, I think, could have just simply said, you know, citing the Gemara Krisis, but he doesn't. He just says, Cholila, that you could put in compounds made up from Shkots and Bermasim into the Terrace. Fundamentally, how could something that is the Torah views as being mias as a sheket same sheket yulochem. How could that be part of the heavenly Guterres? Again, what it shows you is not that exegetically. That's not the like. There wasn't a good reason exegetically to say that that can't be a part of the Guterres. That Natav can't mean what Rashi says. No, the exegesis could be fine, but what's propounding it, what's driving it, seems to be a deeper reason. That the Ram that the Ramban was unwilling to countenance. If we look additionally later on by the uh, in that same parsha in Kisisa by the by the Chedo Egal, the Ramban again says that obviously Aaron Hakain he wasn't intending that the people should be worshiping idols. He said Chagla Hashem Machar. He thought that the people should um, you know take a bit of a break, but they should be using this whatever this is to you know get closer to God. And the Ramban again points out uh, the word Khalila. And again he says, the Khalila Sharotza Aranli Damais Elov. Right? Chas Vashalim that 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 Aaron meant this in any way that was other than that. The Ibn Ezra had said that that the 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 Egel, the golden calf, was made with various sort of astrological, you know, um, brilliance and insights and stuff like that. But the Ramban doesn't like it. He says, no, no, that wasn't how it was done at all. There's no Chachmas Mazalas in the Egel whatsoever. Rather, what he says is, uh, uh, Aaron did it. He did it to help the Jewish people keep their connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's it. There was not any other aspects of it. And the lashon that he uses chalila shirotza Aaron chalila that Aaron would have done it in the way that even Ezra envisions. Again, it seems to me because he could not countenance the fact that Aaron felt that there was actually a need for any of this, or that there was any basis for any of this. It's merely a response to the Jewish people and their complaining and their unwillingness to wait. So therefore, he's doing this as a as a he's giving them a little bit, but but not to the extent. As the as the way that Ibn Ezra would do it. That is the those are the examples that we see in Shmais. In Vayikra, we see a, a few examples as well. 
The first example is the famous dispute between the Ramban and the Rambam in relation to Karbanais. Right, the Maizah Karbanais is a huge machlekas everyone is familiar with. That the Rambam feels that the main reason of, of the Karbanais is, uh, is in order to be able to um, disabuse the people of the notion that the various animals that were held as being godly in Egypt it was the sheep, in India it was the cow, in other places it was the goats. Each place had their reason what they what they what they um, how they felt that these animals were special, and the the point of carbonize. One reason the Ram gives in the Marnevuchim is to disabuse them, to dissuade them of this notion that these animals are anything special. They could be sacrificed. And the other reason that the Rambam gives is in order to be able to wean them off sacrifice. The ideal would be what we have today, which is davening with no sacrifice. But when you have a people that's so steeped in idolatrous culture where everything is sacrificed, then the way you wean them off the sacrifices is you do it slowly. How do you do it slowly? You start out... Then instead of worshiping an idol, you worship God. But if you look carefully by Parshas Lechlacham, over there the pasuk tells us that Avram Avinu built the mezbeach ve'ikar shemay kel olam, but it doesn't say that Avram sacrificed anything, which is different than by Neach. Neach, Neach was vayalu olays, but not by Avram. Avram, he he made a mezbeach, and he called out in God's name, but he didn't sacrifice any animals. This, the Rambam would view as the ideal. But the Jewish people are not there. They're immersed in pagan culture. They're immersed in idolatrous uh, uh, lands. So therefore, in order to be able to get them away from that, you first got to start slow. And you got to do it an incremental approach. You can't just rip away the band-aid right, right off. You got to take the band-aid off slowly. So you let them still do sacrifices. But sacrifices to God instead of to the idolatrous deities. That's the opinion of the Rambam. But the opinion of the Ramban is different. The Ramban says that that's not correct. It has to be that there's something fundamental that inheres, that is inherent in Karbanes, that is valuable. And the language of the Ramban, since it's impossible to say that the basis of carbonites is just to get rid of idolatry. It cannot be that that's the reason. Chalila, that that's the reason. Again, from the perspective of the Ramban as an exegetical matter, as a pshat matter, the Rambam is obviously much, quite challenging and very difficult to agree with. As a pshat matter, but you don't have to add the word chalila v'chas that the idea that I, that the carbonates are there to come and and only to come and 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 disabuse people of the notion of idolatry. That is a chalila matter. That says that the Ramban could never have merely disagreed on an exegetical level. He was fundamentally opposed to the idea that that's what carbonates was, and therefore that would obviously color what his pshat would ultimately be. And he's telling you that. He's telling you, Khalila, that that's how you have to understand Karbon. It's impossible. The the next place where we see that the Ramban uses the word Khalila is another example that we mentioned before, although we didn't mention, we didn't focus on the Khalila aspect of it. And that is in relation to the Sar 
Lashem versus the Sar Lazazel. There's a dispute there again between the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban, among others, about what's the reason of the Sar Lazazel. Why do we have it? So there seems to be opinions, and it already goes back potentially to Midrashim, that it's some sort of a it's some sort of a payoff, right, to the Samuel, to the Samachmem, to the Satan, that effectively you're buying him off that on the holiest day of the year he shouldn't be a kategor, rather he should be a senegor, he should just be quiet. And so therefore, we are, in a sense, giving him the this this sawyer, it's a sheichat, it's a bribe, we're trying to buy him off. That is the opinion of the Ibn Ezra. And the Ramban responds to that, and the Ramban says, Cholila, right, Cholila, that the sawyer meshtaleach is going to be a carbon, to the Samach Mem, to the Samal, to the Satan, Cholila, you can't say that. And, and the Ramban instead develops his own approach. And the Ramban's approach is very, very similar, but fundamentally different than the Ibn Ezra. According to the Ramban, why do we bring the Sar Lazozel? The reason that we do so is because is because of the fact that the 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 example that the Ramban gives is you have a king and the king has one of his wealthy nobles, one of his barons, is going to make him a whole party. And so when the king comes with the, his all entourage, right, if, you, if you're familiar with these various shows that talk about when the kings or the queens come, it, it, people preparing for months, you know, to make sure everything is 100% perfect. You know, Mamash, all the Pitchevkas, it's 100% perfect when the king arrives, the queen arrives. So the king comes with all the entourage, and, you know, everything is perfect. And the king says to the, to the noble, to the one who prepared the whole thing, says, also, I want you to feed, you know, my, 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 my entourage. I want you to give them good honor, I want you to make nice for them, etc. Why does the king want all that for the entourage? Because the king wants the, the Balabas, this, this noble, to feel good. He wants him to feel like he's getting a lot of honor, a lot of use, a lot of appreciation. So he has him give the, the food and the accommodations to everybody, not just the king. So too, says the Ramban, is what's going on here. The, the, the goat, the Sarla Zazel, is in fact being given to the Samach Mem, to the Satan, to the Samo, but not as a Shaykhat for him, not as because we're hoping that he won't be a Kateg, or not because we need to do anything to buy him off, no. The reason is, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that that's what he wants, he wants his various different servants to be sort of given stuff at various different times, and they will be, you know, appreciative of, of the noble, they'll be appreciative of B'nai Yisrael, that's the reason of the Sarla Zazel according to the Ramban. So it's a distinction with a difference from the Ibn Ezra. But the fundamental point to bring out is that the Ramban says over here that Cholila, to say that the Kavana for the Sarah Mishaleach is Shayyah Karba Meitanoilav, that it's going to be our carbon, it's going to be our offering to the Samach Mem. The Torah says repeatedly and repeatedly. That you're not allowed to worship anything aside from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can't worship anything aside from God. You can't bring carbonus to anyone aside from God. So how could it be that we would be giving a carbon 
to 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 mem? No, impossible, says the Ramban. So again, as an exegetical matter, perhaps one could quibble. Obviously, the Ibn Ezra has his own opinion. But the Ramban is never going to get to that real fundamental exegetical question because as a principle, as a fundamental matter, he cannot countenance the idea that we will be sacrificing to 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 something other than a Kaddish Baruch The Torah says repeatedly not. So that can never start. We cannot have a localized debate. There's something more fundamental. There's something more wide-ranging that prevents us from having a localized debate about the exegesis of a particular Pasuk. The next place where the Ramban um, uses the word Chalila is is uh, towards the end of um, of Ayikra, where there the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra again have another fight. And this time it's a fight over Yiftach. Yiftach's daughter. What happened to Yiftach's daughter? Everybody knows the story. Yiftach, he was going to war, and he promised that the first thing that comes out of his house he's going to give to God. And the first thing that came out of his house was his daughter. And so there's a debate between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra as to exactly what happened. According to the Ramban, um, Yiftach killed his daughter. Period. According to the Ibn Ezra, he didn't kill his daughter. According to the Ibn Ezra, he um, basically put it, made his daughter a Rapunzel. He put his daughter into a uh, castle, and there she was, a a, a uh, living alone for the rest of her life, never marrying, never having a family, never having anything. That was uh, what the Ibn Ezra says. Now, you have to know, and I'm not sure that it's 100% relevant, but I think it's interesting, because there's another there's a, another place where the Ibn Ezra seems to extol this kind of ascetic lifestyle, and that is by the Noshim HaTzeveis, B'mari HaTzeveis, HaShet Tzavu, back in the end of Parshas, uh, and back in the end of Sefer Shemais, where we learn in Parshas Pekude about the Kiar and how it got made. So the Ibn Ezra there says, that the ideal, these women were amazing, that they decided that they didn't want to be part of the world anymore. They were Isha Prushim. So even though the Mishnah insight that tells us that there's nothing worse, right? One of the terrible things, one of the four bad things is is is, is women who decide that they want to be ascetics. Um, the Ibn the, Ezra the there extols them that that's what they did. Over here, the Ibn Ezra says something very similar, that effectively she was dedicated to a life of pure godliness, living alone, that's what Yiftach essentially did with her. The Ramban doesn't like it, but the Ramban is not, not liking it because he doesn't like ascetic lifestyles. Remember, the Ramban in Paris Kadeshim told us that the Torah is actually a mitzvah uh, to be uh, an additional parosh, not just parosh menar rise like Rashi had said. What did Kadeshim to you mean? The Ramban had explained that Kadeshim to you was a fundamental precept underlying and undergirding the entirety of the Torah, that one is meant to be essentially weaning oneself off the normative or the normal pleasures in the world to do even less and less than 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 otherwise would be considered okay and accepted and tolerable. One is to do much less than that. So the Ramban himself extols that lifestyle. That's not the issue here for the Ramban. The issue for the Ramban is a technical issue. Is a technical halachic issue. Says the Ramban, chas v'chalila. He doesn't usually use the words chas v'chalila. Normally it's chalila. 
Here he says, Chas that you could be able to make a nether and it's going to be chal on something, on a dover or another that's not at all possible? It can't be. It can't be that a nether will be chal to bring a carbon on, on a human being that fundamentally cannot be brought as a carbon. So for the Ramban, I think even though he likes the asceticism, even though he himself appreciates it, and that's part of his whole condition to you approach, here it doesn't apply. Here he goes after the Ibn Ezra because of the fact that a carbon cannot take place, a nether cannot be chal on something that cannot be a carbon. Period. Full stop. Like it's it's fundamentally like the the the, the impossibility from a halachic perspective to have a nether bichal on a human being that they're going to be a carbon. Is it? It's das. That's the chalila says the Ramban, and therefore says the Ramban. What actually happened with Yiftach's daughter? What actually happened with Yiftach's daughter is that he killed her. He literally killed her because he was obviously. Not uh, not unwilling to go to uh, Pinchas and Bimatu Nether. Pinchas was unwilling to go to him. That's what the Gemara tells us. And either way, that was that. That is the machlekes there between the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban on on uh, what happened in the Ma'aseh of Yiftach. Additionally, when we turn now to Bamidbar, and um, we have again a number of examples of what the 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 the, the word chalila of how the how the Ramban uses it, where again we're making the point that the Ramban could have limited himself to just saying, well I exegetically I exegetically disagree with the approach of the Ibn Ezra or Rashi and here's why. But he doesn't. He doesn't just limit himself to that. He also seems to say Khalila or Chasva Khalila or Shalom on certain times, which seems to suggest that he wouldn't brook even the possibility of that argument as a more fundamental matter. That is, it's not merely a localized question of exegesis. It's a fundamental disagreement, a fundamental unwillingness to imagine or countenance something like that taking place. And so therefore, presumably, the the exegesis needs to follow that. That seems to be the 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 tell that the Ramban is using in these instances when he puts in his uh, Khalila, his Chatzva Khalila. So here, in in the Parash of where we talk about the various different levels of prophecy, Miriam and Aaron talk about Moshe in a not-so-complimentary way, and and Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say anything. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu has to be stepping in to remedy the pagam in in the covet of Moshe Rabbeinu, and he has to make it a hundred percent clear that the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu is fundamentally different than even the nevuah of Aaron and Miriam. And I'll add a a, a side point although not necessarily relevant to the Ramban in, in, in Paris Balaischa, but I believe also that perhaps the reason that those stories are juxtaposed, in other words, the story of Miriam and Aaron speaking about ill of Maishra Benu, along with um, 
the response of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Nuriam Saras and all of that, that story immediately follows the story of Eldar Amedah Mestam B'machanem. And the Eldar Amedah Mestam B'machanem is a situation, and a number of commentaries pointed out, but I think it's Pashab Shah. Um, a number of commentaries, like I say, do, do say the same, but I don't know, like I think it's really just clear in the Pasuk, that the Nevuah that Eldar Amedar had wasn't predicated on the prophetic stream of Meishu Rabbeinu. Meishu Rabbeinu had a prophetic stream, the Pasuk says, that they're going to be able to get some aspect of prophecy based upon the prophecy that is running through you, that is streaming through Meishu Rabbeinu. But Eldar Amedar, who weren't with them, they didn't go by the oil. They stayed by the Machanem. Or they had come back, or whatever the case is, they weren't with everybody else. They are prophesying on their own basis. They have their own stream. They have their own connection. And so Maishu Rabbeinu, of course, famously says to this, what seemed to be a challenge to his dominance as the prophet and the Jewish people, that now there are these usurpers, there are these challenger prophets that effectively, since they get prophecy, would no longer need, require the services of a Maishu Rabbeinu. So Maishu Rabbeinu is, of course, very not jealous about it. And he says, I'd rather be out of a job. Hamakane atali. Hashem. That the whole nation should be Nivim. Ki Hashem Hashem should give his prophetic uh, inspiration to everyone. That's the ideal. Not that I should be only on me. It should be with everyone. And I should be out of a job. Immediately after that, we have the story of the 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 birds and the Jewish people um, you know dying as a result of eating all the meat. Alright. And then we have right after that the next parasha is the story of Miriam and Aaron and Moshe. And I'm thinking that perhaps that we need that story because lest you think as Yeshua or the Nar or maybe they were the same thought, which is, is the challenge is clearly enunciated by saying, that's enough to say that, oh my gosh, you rose the challenge to Moshe Rabbeinu's dominance as a prophet? Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't respond. So Yeshua has to respond to make it clear, because Moshe Rabbeinu obviously is not smart enough to get it. He doesn't see the problem. So Yeshua has to say, Adaini Maisha claim, like in no uncertain terms, like the way you would talk to a child, right? Maisha, kill them. So then Maisha finally, I guess, is forced to respond and says, Don't worry about it. If they could take me out of a job, wonderful. So maybe onlookers thought, maybe even, you know, Miriam and Aaron thought, one second. Maisha Rabbeinu's dominance as a prophet is not as strong as it was. There are other prophets independently prophesying. We're prophets. We independently prophesy. And maybe that's what potentially gave some of that impetus for the for the conversation about Moshe Rabbeinu and his married life. And this perhaps what might be what the Medrash is alluding to. Because the Medrash says that Miriam heard Zipporah talking 
and groaning about, oh, what's going to happen to Eldon and wives. But I'm wondering, not necessarily that literally like the, taking the Medrash, but the idea that the dominance of Meshach Rabbeinu as a prophet, that everyone has to get their prophetic stream via him, is not the case. So perhaps that gave some sort of a leeway to talk a little bit negatively about him. And therefore, Hashem is coming to settle it once and for all, that you are not the same. You're not even close. You're in like a different world entirely. Meishu Rabbeinu is not Halei Gambanu Dibar, no. Meishu Rabbeinu is your Bachalem, Radadabar Barimara, but by him, Pel Pel Dabar Barimara, Vele Bechida, Yisusmunas Hashem Yabet. You should be afraid talking about him. He doesn't say anything. But you, you should have a proper fear and understanding of what the difference is between you and him. So over there, the Ramban points out that we have a number of Chazals that say that Shmuel is like Moshe and Aaron. Right? We say it on Friday night by the davening. Moshe and Aaron bekeinav, Shmuel bekeinav, uh, we have a Pasuk also in, in Yumyo that seems to equate Meshur Abenu with Yirmiyah. Says the says the Ramban, Chalila Lohem to say that there's any comparison between Aaron, Shmuel, Yirmiyah. No, no, no way, nobody compares to Meshur Abenu in prophecy. The reason that a Pasuk puts together Shmuel and Moshe or Shmuel um, versus Aaron and Moshe is just for the godless of them to show that they were great people also. Right When the Pasuk says that in the beginning of, of Parashas of Aira, who Aaron and Moshe, normally it says Moshe of Aaron, and Rashi says, oh, they're all shakal, they're all equal. They're not all equal in prophecy whatsoever. Let's be 100% clear. They're not equal. Sure, Aaron... <coughs> in a sense, as the Rambam would say, as he does say in Hechus Shuvah, we all have the ability to be Meishur Abenu. So long as we utilize our talents to the maximum, so long as we utilize our talents to the fullest capacity and capabilities that we have, so then we're like Meishur Abenu. But let's not for a second think that just because we're like Meishur Abenu in terms of fully utilizing our capacity, the totality of our capabilities are manifest in our life. Wonderful. And now you're like Maishu Rabbeinu. But you don't have a prophecy like Maishu Rabbeinu. No one does. And that the Ramban wants to make very, very clear. Cholila to think otherwise. And then we get to this week's Sadra. And the reason that I thought about doing this Cholila thing, I had it in the back of my mind for a while when I'm going to do it, but I thought it would be a good idea to do it in this week's Sadra um, when, I, when I was looking at it. And I saw this Khalila, I was like, oh yes, you know, we should do all the Khalilas. So we have a story in this week's Sadra about Kairach. When was it that the Maisa of Kairach happened? Big Machlag is again between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra. It's a common refrain, right? The Ibn Ezra says it happened in Mid Sinai. When Mesha Rabbeinu separated out the Bukhara. The Ramban says it happened in Midbar Par. And in part, this goes into the big machlekes between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra about Ein Muktam Mochabatero. The Ramban is much more unwilling to say Ein Muktam Mochabatero unless the Torah really forces you to say it, like in the beginning of, of Baal I'm sorry, in the beginning of Bamidbar, 
where we learn that the, the, the story is taking place, you know, and then we have the story of Pesach Shedi, the Mahalaischal, that's clearly taking place before. So that's the situation where the Torah is making it very clear that it's a Muktam Mu'achar. And just because something's written second doesn't mean it happened second in time. But if the Torah doesn't do that, if the Torah is not making it really manifest, then the Ramban is hard pressed to say, ain't Muktam Mu'achar so according to the Ramban, the whole mice of Kerach takes place after the Muraglam. After the story of Parsha Shlach. That's when the story takes place of, of Kerach. And the question is, for the Ramban, what happened? How did Kerach get these people? What, what, was the, what was the genesis of this battle? Where Kerach seems to have, if not kindled the flame, but taken advantage of a spark. Remember that after the Jewish people saw the sign that Kerach v'chaladah said they're all killed. They come out the next morning and they say, Atem habitem asam Hashem. And then there's another Magefa and Aaron this time has to come along with his fire pan and he has to be able to protect the Jewish people and hopefully should convince them that Aaron was the real deal. But it's not, still not enough. We then have the the staff test, right? Where everybody puts their sticks, everybody puts their matas in the in the mishkan, and the one that is a sign is Aaron's because because it flowers and grows almonds, etc. So this was clearly something that Korach was either sparking or tapping into. So where was it? Where was it coming from? So the the Rabbeinu Hanano suggests that Kerach really got his support, his base from the Bnei Levi, and that's what he, you know the, the Moshe Rabbeinu was saying Rav Lachem Bnei Levi to to um, to Kerach. So the the Rabbeinu Hanano suggests that all the people that had gathered around Kerach they were really from the Levite tribe, and the Ramban doesn't like it. The Ramban says, The Ramban says, How could it be that you have 250 people from the Shevet of Levi? This is the Shevet that responded to Midal Hashem Eli, the Shevet that is Meshur Rabbeinu's own Shevet, who have been chosen for jobs in the Mishkan. And, and you're going to say that they're rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu? Impossible. In other words, again, it's not that the Ramban is going to come along and just argue on the localized psukim of what it means, Rav Lechem B'nei Levi. No. It's fundamental. How could you propound the pshat that demands that the tribe of Levi be looking askance, be rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu? A person from their own tribe, a person who's elevated them all, a person to, who who they followed before. This is another example where I think you see again this notion that the Ramban could have just limited it to what one Pasik says versus another Pasik. In other words, the Ramban has a very good raya like him. You don't say an Ada about a few people from Levi. Obviously, he has a, 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 a significant amount of support from Bnei Yisrael. 
And that, I think, would be a very satisfactory argument on a basis of pshat. But the Rahman doesn't do that. Because, fundamentally, he cannot accept the idea. And it's, uh, no, no one's saying it's not. It's not loyal al-adas to say that Shevet Levi rebelled against Meshur Abenu. How can that be? So it's a two-pronged argument. There's an exegetical argument, sure, but there's a fundamental, more broad argument that would never allow such a pshat. And according then to the Ramban, so how was it that the Shevet Levi and the Bnei so how, like what happened that at the end of the day they were willing to, you know, a number of people were willing to go and, and you know, not just go to the grave with Karach, but be willing to say the words that they said, how could they come up with such a language? So the Ramban is a very post, you know, modern kind of approach. He says that essentially Karak was tapping into some layer of discontent and being very clever about it and used time wisely. And the Jewish people were essentially, you know, waiting and seeing and seeing, you know, maybe there was a potential, um, maybe there was a potential uh, uh, change in God's mind, as it were. And one of the things is that cause of discontent is potentially the Bechayrim being swapped, as the Ibn Ezra pointed out. But also, says the Ramban, remember the Ramban doesn't hold of the, the, the Ibn Ezra, Ein Mukta Mocha. So we have had now the Misa of the Slav, right? We've had the, the we've had the Misainen, and we've had, you know, the, 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 the Miragna, the Mapil, and we had now a number of situations. And the Ramban says, you know, the Jewish people had not seen Meishu Rabbeinu necessarily interceding to, to help them. Yes, it's true, Meishu Rabbeinu saves the Jewish people from being destroyed by the Miraglim, but maybe they don't appreciate that, right? Because they only hear that everybody's going to die, and they see people dying, right, you know, from the Mapilim, they see the, you know, the, the immediate reaction. Maybe they don't appreciate how much Meishu Rabbeinu did just to merely keep them alive. For the next 40 years. So, there seems to be, according to the Ramban, some level, some swelling of discontent that Kirk was therefore able to tap into precisely this time. We have only a couple minutes left. Um, I'd like to at least finish a couple of more here in, um, in Bamidbar. So the Ramban uh, points out that obviously it can't be, and this one I, I I actually think is interesting because the the pasuk says in next week's sedra, not in this week's sedra, next week's sedra, in parshas chukas, we're gonna have a pasuk that tells us by the by the hitting of the rock, right? The pasuk says that Meishu tells Hashem, that you could potentially understand that as a question, and the Ramban says it can't be a question. Now, he may be right, again, as an exegetical matter, that it's not a question. Certainly from reading the Pesukim, it wouldn't seem like it's a question. But, but the Ramban says, Cholila, Cholila. Again, that double Lashon Cholila, we've seen a few times from him. Cholila, Cholila, Sheyiyeh, Hatema Lemnius. Chas V'shon, the Moshe would be asking if HaKadosh Baruch Hu can make water come from a rock. And I find that interesting that he, that he says that, because obviously the Ramban is well aware that in Paris Ba'aleischa, HaKadosh Baruch said that he's going to promise meat for all the Jewish people. And it's not going to be meat for a day. Not right now, not a meat for five days. 
Right? Ad chodesh yomim ad shayetzim me'abchem v'hayolachem lezoro. It's going to be a month of this meat. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Sheish mi'azrael of ragli agavarim v'amitav. There's a lot of people here. V'ato marta basar etein lehem. V'achol chodesh yomim. How are you going to get so much meat to feed them meat all this you know amount of people for a month? And Hashem, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu continues with the question. All right, at sayin. Uvaka Yishakhe Lahem Matsalam it's called the Gayam. Right, Yah Save Lahem Matsalam. How are you gonna find all this meat? And Hashem responds, Hayad Hashem Tikzar Atasira Yikadavarimai. Is the hand of God in any way not capable of doing this? You will see. And we use the word Hayikachab, which is mashma like uh mikra. It will seem like a coincidence. It will flow naturally, or as natural as it can be. So, to me, it's interesting that the Ramban here says, Chalila, that Moshe Rabbeinu could have asked it as a question. I think exegetically, sure. doesn't make sense in the context of the Pasuk itself. Um, and the response, fine. But that's not the only thing that the Ramban says. The Ramban cannot countenance the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu would ask. But he did ask. Two weeks ago, he asked. In Paris, by Lezcha, he asked. Um, just one more example. We'll just run through quickly. The Ramban challenges the notion that Bilam was a, 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 a prophet. Now we're going to Parshas Balak. He he doesn't ag- agree with the idea that Bilam was a, 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 a navi. Bilam was a kaisim. And the Ramban again wants to bring a writer from a pasuk, but one of his clear points is he says Chalila that if he was a navi that he would have been killed. How could you kill a Navi Hashem? A real Navi? If Bilam was really a Navi and not a Kaisim, he wouldn't have been killed. So again, I think what we see from all of these situations is that the Ramban most times, of course, doesn't use this kind of a, a language of Chalila, Chasva Chalila, 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 Chasva Shalom. But sometimes he does. And when he does, in the context also of giving his exegetical arguments, it seems to me that the Ramban is arguing that on two levels. He's arguing on the Pshad in terms of the Psukim, the Gemaras, the Majorashim, etc. that he has. But there also is a wider argument. There's also a more fundamental, foundational argument where the Ramban was unwilling to countenance the Pshat, even, I think, if the exegesis wasn't in his favor. In other words, what necessarily came first there? It sounds like in some of these situations where the Ramban is fundamentally opposed to this, to these possibilities, that that the exegesis, in a sense, had to follow it. The 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 first principles would win the day, and obviously the interpretations had to follow. All right, with that, we'll we'll finish up. We we obviously didn't have enough time to, to do uh, the rest of the examples in Bamidbar and and the Varm, but they're all al They're all the same kind of of approach. Have a wonderful shabbos. Thank you.